You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Therefore, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all and who is over all and through all and in all. But grace has given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to the men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who is descended and who is also ascended above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the faithfulness of Christ. So we may longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but by human cunning, by craftiness and in deceitful schemes, rather speaking in truth love, We all grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Beautiful. Thank you so much. As we mentioned, and I'm just going to bring up that slide, the series we're in at the moment, uh, Ephesians, I've given a bit of background, but Ephesians is this, uh, well, Ephesus is this city that is where all these new ideas and philosophies and it's, a, it's right on the middle of a trade route, so there's lots of uh, business going on there, lots of new ideas, and it's growing, the city of Ephesus, lots of different gods, lots of different philosophies, um, merging into one city. And this church essentially asked this question, the church of Ephesus, who are we? What do we do in a city like that? And this letter to the church of Ephesus is all about identity, who we are as Christians, but who we are as a church. And here, Ephesians 4, it talks about, we, we gather, and we've, I've kind of put it into postures, I've called it. We've talked about that we gather together and encourage each other, that the whole point of gathering together is encouraging each other over communion, worshipping together, and uplifting and stirring. Come on, Monday's coming. You're representing the Father. Here we go again. So we gather together. We talked about last week that we grow, part one. And we talked about the fact that everybody is growing. It's who you're growing into, John 15 challenges us with. That was last week, talking about you're growing, but who are you growing into? Um, And we talked about being shaped by the Spirit. And today I want to talk about part two. We grow part two. And I must, this is essentially 
an invitation this morning, the start of a bigger conversation around how will Burley Church, what, what can Burley Church of Christ do so that we grow together? Because we can't condense it all into Sunday 9 to 11. <laughs> There's more to our Christian walk than that. What things, what practices can we put in place so that we can grow stronger together, deeper and wider? Not just fill seats on Sunday, but actually deeper into relationship with each other and, of course, our Father. And so that's kind of the, it's the beginning today. It's a bit of an odd sermon today. It's the beginning, an invitation to do this together and start a journey of looking at how we can grow deeper. So I want to look at a word today, a word that Jesus says is the tool for growth. Raise your hand if you've heard this word, discipleship. Put your hand up if you've heard that word. If you've been around a church for more than three weeks, you've probably heard this word. Because it's what Jesus says. He doesn't tell us to do that much, actually. But in Matthew 28, he tells his then disciples, go make more. Go make more disciples. Go make students. Go tell them about me, train them and equip them to make more of disciples. And I'd say they did, they've had some bad moments in the last 2,000 years. They've had some good moments. But I'd say as a general rule, being that we're here the other side of the world, it says go to the ends of the earth. Technically, if you look at the globe, that's actually New Zealand. So we went there. I'd say they went and made disciples in New Zealand and here. And so they did a pretty good job. But we've got to continue to make disciples, make students of Jesus. However... If I was to ask us each, and I won't, don't worry, how we make disciples, we would probably all have completely different answers. We'd all have different thoughts on it. We might even have confusing answers. We might have been sitting there, don't ask me how we actually do that. And don't feel guilty about that, because I've been in situations if I asked a bunch of pastors and church leaders, how you make disciples. You would get completely different answers. And it would be a little bit confusing. How do we make students of Jesus? How do we do that? Is it just about a prayer? Is it just about a booklet? Is it just about a, a four-week DNA series? How do, we, how do we actually make disciples? It gets worse because I recently, as part of my master's, um, I've focused on this subject, tried to focus on this subject, taking subjects around discipleship. As I thought, Jesus asked us to do it. It's got to be pretty important. That's what I'll focus on. So probably around six, the last six or seven years of ministry where I've been employed here in Southport, my main focus has been discipleship, something I wanted to learn, I wanted to... And, and I recently was in a class with a person with a doctorate, and guess what his doctorate was on? Discipleship with other master's students in a class called Intro to Discipleship. The reason I tell you this is not just to talk about degrees and study. I tell you that because we were confused <laughs> and we had different answers. We had articulate different answers, <laughs> but we had different answers on exactly what this discipleship thing means. So please don't feel guilty today, but let's acknowledge a couple of things today as a church. Let's acknowledge that sometimes we avoid discipleship because and let me give you because it's because it's scary and untangible but let me give you two reasons why sometimes we run from discipleship first reason it's hard to box in 
It's hard to box in sitting with people and growing together. It's, it's hard to, it's abstract. Make students of Jesus. What does that look like? Is it memorizing scripture? Is it praying together? Is it just hanging out with each other and standing so close to each other that you hope some of your Christianness will jump like lice? <laughs> jump from you to them if you just hang out enough. Um, well, that, is that discipleship? Is it making people go to church? Again, these aren't bad things. I just, I'm, I, these are all the concepts that come up when we talk about discipleship. What does it mean to make disciples? And then if you've made one, <laughs> how do you measure the depth of the relationship growth? You can't just go on a scale of one to ten. How is your relationship between? It, it's not scalable. It's hard. It's abstract. This is why I believe we, I, I at least, avoid it sometimes. And personally, this means that we would resist intentionally discipling somebody or being in a group because we feel not equipped, we feel scared, we're not able to control it, we're not able to control people, we don't feel good enough, we don't feel like we know enough. If it's all about the big exam at the end, the finals, then it becomes about knowledge and we feel like, I don't know enough about the Bible, I don't know enough to disciple. What if they don't like me? What if I say, do you want to catch up? And they're like, no. <laughs> or I don't particularly want to catch up with you. What if they find out, here's the worst, what if they find out I'm not perfect? Spoiler alert, we're all not perfect. So they will find that out, definitely. It's whether you tell them <laughs> or not, they will find that out. Now, don't get me wrong. As a church, we want to equip you in these places. We want to train you so you feel comfortable. But the spirit also works, and it says, my weakness is made strong. Your weakness, sorry, is made strong in Christ. The second reason I reckon we, it's coming up here, why we avoid discipleship is it's messy. It's messy. Dealing, building, sitting with people, it's messy. I don't know if you've noticed, <laughs> people can be scary they can be emotional, anxious creatures. Spending time with people, committing to them. So you can paint a fence and at the end of the day, look at the fence and go, I painted a fence. <laughs> Tick. You could spend three hours with somebody one-on-one -on -one and wonder if you helped at all. Wondered if something you said or something you discussed was helpful for them. It's very messy, abstract. I want to tell a story, and, and she, I got permission to tell this story, um, kind of. No, no, I got permission. Mez and me uh, at Southport Young Adults, worked with young adults, and, and Mez, after hearing me rant on the seventh rant about discipleship, what I was learning, she goes, I'm going to take, I, I want to do this. I want to, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to ask a young girl, and I'm going to commit to that girl and say, can I build into your life? She met for a couple of weeks, they went through the Bible, they went through what was going on in her life, and then she said, sometimes all we do is we just socialise. So how do we take it deeper? And we, we, said, we talked about challenging each other and, and going a bit deeper, and she goes, oh, I don't know if you like that. And I go, well, you've built relationship now, it's time to go a bit deeper. Um, and this girl was challenged, and challenged on a really, quite a serious thing. 
The next week she gets a text or a phone call and says, oh, thanks so much for your time. I've found another person to disciple me. Um, my wife comes home and I think to myself, that could be, it's, it is funny now because I, I know wh- how my wife went, so you can laugh. But at the same time, if that's your experience, you would never try that again. Possibly. I was looking at Mez, who was quite upset, and thought, my wife will never try this again. We'll never try this again to reach out. Um, she has. We found out that person she discipled went through about three different mentors and then changed church and then changed church again and then changed church again. So it's all right. That's, we, we're okay there. But uh, And Mez went on to ha- disciple some young ladies now, meets with them regularly. But still, it's messy. What if that happens? It's terrifying. I'd much rather personally talk, about some, talk to someone about my favourite movies or just hang out with someone at a live band than have an intentional conversation about faith and life because it's messy and scary. <laughs> it's messy. Much easier as we unpack this text. Because it's confusing and abstract, it'd be much more easier just to get as many people into a room and entertain them between 9 to 11 and keep them happy then reach out into discipleship. That's more measurable. You can check, check attendance. You can get how many people are attending. You can entertainment. You can make them laugh. You make them feel good. That's easy. Discipleship's hard, even though Jesus asked us. Discipleship's hard. So I wanted to start there. All acknowledge. Take a breathe out. This is hard. That's why we... Re- but it's important. I love this quote. This is why it's important. If we build audience church, we make consumers. Thanks for the service. I'm not against church services. I'm just saying if that's the only thing we do. Thanks for the service, Steve. Can't wait for next week. Hope it's even bigger and better because I want to consume. Hope there's more morning tea. Hope it's even tastier next week. Sorry, Steve, I found a church with tastier morning tea. Sorry, Steve, I found a church that entertains me more. That's what we build. If we build disciples, we make producers if we sit with people in the mess if we encourage them invitation and challenge them into Jesus we make producers disciples that make more disciples it might seem clear it might seem obvious but with 256 churches on the Gold Coast and everyone swapping between them all it's not that obvious and not that clear It's more messy than that. Disciples will make more disciples. They will continue to build God's big vision, the kingdom of God. So, although we won't solve this today, my heart for this morning is to start this process for us and explore what it looks like to make disciples. Give it a red-hot go, as Josh would say in a previous sermon. I want to look at how Jesus made disciples. So if you've got your Bibles there, let's have a look, because... He's the, he's the guy that started it all and he's God in human form. So he's going to do this well. How did Jesus make disciples? If you've got your Bibles there, I'm just trying to find my main passage. Mark 3, 1 to 12, if you want to open that up, we're going to have a look. It's going to come up on the screen, but it is teeny tiny. So Mark 3, 1 to 12. Mark 3, 1 to 12. 
you can find this isn't a particularly interesting story you can find this is what Jesus does time and time again but it it represents a rhythm that Jesus does to help make him make disciples so again he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal them on the Sabbath so they might accuse him and he said to the man with a withered hand come here and he said to them it is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm he asked the question to save a life or to kill the church leaders were silent and looked around at them with anger grieved at their hardness of heart and said to them stretch out your hand he stretched it out and his hand was restored the Pharisees went out immediately held a council not happy with this and worked out how to destroy him and the part I want to concentrate though today is a great crowd follows Jesus so when Jesus healed, no wonder, when he feeds everybody, everybody gathers. There's this place for that. There's a large, what we call, some preachers call a paddock. Here we call it the large table. Everyone together is exciting. He's healing people. What's he going to do next? He's like at the benchmark. He's got the attendance. He's got the audience. And then nearly every time Jesus does something, and it's really important, what does he do? What it says next, he says, in seven, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. He withdraws. Why does he do that? That is, a, in a worldly wisdom, a really unsmart thing to do. If we had 5,000 people rock up this morning and they're like, keep going, keep going. As people being healed, we're feeding them, we're breaking bread and feeding them all. You'd feel like the dumbest move then at that point in our human wisdom would be to withdraw with a few people. We'd be like, let's keep this going. But Jesus does this consistently and often. And he's actually unsuccessful this time. So he tries to withdraw with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judah and Jerusalem and from beyond the Jordan and from all around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. That's how intense the crowd is. Get the boat ready, guys. I want some time. Get it ready, we're going to run. We're going to make a run for it. For he healed many so that all had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before they cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. How's that? Don't tell more people about me right now. I don't want to get too big. He knows if he gets too big, he's going to get killed. And yeah, he got too big and he got killed. Um, but he was part of his plan, but at least he got three years to do ministry there. The point being, he's trying. There's a heart there. Can you see that, church? There's a heart there for him to be withdrawn with these guys, withdrawn with a few. There's a heart to have the crowd. And we've all had this, right? We've all had a crowd moment. Who's been? Here's the words I hear frequently um, at, a, at a rally or a large church service. Someone's in there. Who's experienced this? When you first became a Christian, they say something like, the preacher's words, it felt like no one else was in the room and they spoke straight to me. Who's had that experience? Who's got saved it? Who, who went forward at a Billy Graham crusade? Who did that? A Youth for Christ rally. For the, for the younger, it's a, who's felt inspired or encouraged at a Hillsong conference? Maybe uplifted. The large tables are phenomenal church this is what this is for nine to eleven encourage each other it's awesome and it works it's not one or the other it's both and 
Sunday services are built for encouragement. Gospel-rich celebration where we gather in gratitude for the first time all together in God's presence for the week. It's meant to be good. It's meant to be uplifting. It's meant to be comforting. It's meant to be healing. If that was our only purpose though, why does Jesus sneak away when the crowd is good? And that's where I want to introduce not a new concept, but reintroduce an invitation for this church this morning. There's another part which we're calling small tables. We call that the large table. We're calling this small tables. Let me read. If you're still not on board, if you're not sure, is this one example of Jesus? Let me read a couple of passages for you. When Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded, his mate, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. He had to grieve, he had to spend some time with God. After Jesus had dismissed the crowd, this is out of Matthew 14, 23, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was still there alone. Jesus going by himself in solitude. Jesus entered a house in Mark 7, 24 and did not want anyone to know it, yet he would not keep his presence secret. He's having a moment withdrawn. Once Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him. This is out of Mark 8, 27. He asked them, who do the crowd say I am? All right, I've got the guys together. And we know there were girls there as well. We know the Mary Martha story sitting at his feet listening. Now I've got my core group. Who are they saying I am? What do you reckon, boys? What's going on? Withdraws with them. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place when he finished. This is Luke 11. Another example is one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And we know, obviously, the Easter story. After, again, after the leaders in Jerusalem sought to arrest out of John 10, but he escaped from their hands, he went away again across the Jordan to a place where John had been baptising at first, and he remained there, fled and just spent some time. When Jesus' disciples had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. This was, how's this? This was Jesus' usual place to pray when he was in Jerusalem. You have to do something more than once for it to be your usual place in Jerusalem. Church, this is so important. If God as a man did this, if God did this when he was on earth with all the ministry he had to get done, if he took time to withdraw with a few or by himself frequently as so much that it says Jesus often withdrew to lonely and desolate places so much that those observed him said oh he's gone to his usual place then it's important for us as Christians that there must be a practice here for us to explore together no matter how messy it will be Jesus knew the crowds were good but the depth came when he spent time with the Father and his trusted 12, sometimes only three or four people. Burley Church of Christ. Leadership here wants to equip you to have both. Large tables, and we're gonna start exploring what it looks like to have smaller tables together. A key part of growth is having people in our life that we trust and invite in and together we allow our lives to be shaped by the Holy Spirit. Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with you. And this explains a lot because it's so hard. Have you ever tried to have a really deep conversation after church on a Sunday 
You can in the prayer time, that's what that's for, that's great. But if you ever tried to have it over morning tea out there, it's almost near impossible. It wasn't designed for that. It was designed for a celebration, eating, hanging together. You, you can't challenge each other maybe on a hidden sin <laughs> over some pink bun on a Sunday afternoon with everybody around Chris the coffee cut. It wasn't designed for that. Jesus had other methods of gathering together. So Jesus asks us as disciples to make disciples. It's key to our formation. It's key to our transformation. And then as a community, to gather together in smaller settings. So my question is, as we continue, how can we make or how can we have what I've called a small table practice? How can we do this? How can we start this burly heads? At this point, if you're in the church long enough, you're going, is this just a sermon about small groups and Bible studies <laughs> or cell groups or whatever you called it at some previous church or even this church? The answer is sort of. I'm not using those names deliberately because they all have baggage sometimes. They all have a certain picture in our head. And there's no 100% correct formula for meeting together. It's messy, right? It's abstract. There's no 100% formula. We're just asked to practice it and get better at it and do it and multiply. That comes from, and I'm not, this is just my personal journey, that statement that there's no 100% correct formula for this comes from seven years of at least paid ministry trying to find the exact formula for this. <laughs> and maybe I'll find it in another seven. I don't know. I'm still young. But so far, there's no 100% formula, but it's important. Rather, I'm not inviting you to join a small group right now. I'm inviting you to consider taking up a small table practice to pursue smaller tables, smaller settings where you can encourage and grow together what am I asking I'm asking for everyone in this room this morning to consider a small table committing to some people till December 2019 this year the reason I put an end date on it is we'll rethink it rejig it maybe swap some groups around maybe some groups have grown maybe some tables have expanded we might need some new stuff we might something might not be working but till December give this a go Start praying about committing to a smaller group of people in this church. It couldn't get more practical than that. That's what we're asking this morning. So here's some questions or some tensions that I want to address as we start to explore this briefly today and then we'll do some training for the leaders of these tables. You'll find some tensions if you reach out. If you stretch out and start a small table, you're going to find some tensions. Here's the first one. Your small table, or like, yeah, just one back. Sorry, Miriam. Your small table will seek to have a balance between invitation and challenge. As you're praying about this, consider this. Jesus says this in Matthew 4.19 to his disciples. Come follow me. Come watch me as your rabbi. Come follow me. Come be part of my life. Know, well, know the good and the bad, but with Jesus there was no bad. Just know the good. See how I eat. See how I work. See how I, see how I live. And I will challenge you to make you fishers of men. So a good small table, doesn't, although there's no formula, there is this tension between inviting everyone into your life but being able to challenge them as well. How's this one? In, a, in another passage, Jesus is talking, Matthew 
Um, sorry, not Matthew 4.19. I'll find a verse and say, I've got another story. We all know the story of Zacchaeus. He meets this man up a tree and says, let's do lunch together. Invites him into his house. What happens to Zacchaeus? He, exit lunch, he exits lunch and gives all his money back that he stole. Invitation challenge. If you're going to meet together, it's not just about eating together, hanging out, having a coffee. There's going to be challenge when you go deep together. There's going to be a bit of both, give or take. He sits with a woman at a well, gives, offers her the living water, that, his presence that never, well, she'll never thirst again. But he also says, how many husbands do you have? As he hints at how many, it hints at her adultery. That's not the type of conversation you have over morning tea, over pink bun. That's the type of conversation that you earn trust in and you know both each other. You know the weakness and strengths. And you say, hey, I've noticed this area of your life. What's God saying about that? What can we work together about that? That's not something you come up and tell someone that you've never met first time on a Sunday morning. Hey, just want to tell you, you've got to work on that adultery. It's a private, intimate conversation with a spirit. Find a small table and let each other into your lives, your struggles, your weaknesses, and then help keep each other accountable. Challenge each other towards life change, towards truth, which leads to my next tension. Just a couple of tensions this morning. Truth and practice. Your small table will have this tension of truth and practice. What do I mean by that? The truth is the word of God, amen? In every teaching Jesus did, or almost every teaching Jesus did, he references the Torah. Even though what he says is the word of God and will be written down and given to us in the Bible as the word of God, he still references the Torah as a point of reference. It's our ultimate truth. So in every small table, the word of God needs to be the source of truth. However, we're not going to get to heaven, unfortunately, for those doing Bible college, and there's an exam. That's not how it works. <laughs> Actually, no, we, we, we're not asked to do anything, just accept Jesus. But in this life is not just a Bible study. We're asked to practice and change and grow. So there is this tension where it's not just a Bible study and it's not just a motivational group. Go be better. Truth and practice, that's the tension that you'll commit to if you commit to a small table. That you'll have truth, ultimate truth comes from the word of God, but you'll have practice. You have to encourage each other to live it out. You have just practice, you become a religious group full of law. You have too much truth, you do nothing. You just know heaps of facts. It's got to have both, it's hard. Do you see why this is, this whole sermon, how encouraging is this? I'm just telling you how hard small tables are, but how important they are. That's why I wrestled with this whole sermon. Because I'm like, I'm just telling him it's hard. And then to go do it. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Um, The next last point, before I just give some examples, is it's got to be spirit-led and intentional. What I mean by that is, Jesus had his eyes on Jerusalem from the moment his ministry started. He knew where he was going. He calls 12 people, which means he didn't call that 13th guy, which means he didn't ask that person. He was selective, not inclusive, not exclusive, but selective on who he was gonna do because he knew 12 guys and possibly partners and possibly other people is a lot of work. So he was intentional. 
See, often we, we have this picture of Jesus as a, um, just, I'll go wherever, because he says this, I'll go where the Father sends me. I'll just do whatever I want to to wake up, to, to whatever I want to do today. And we think as Christians, how dare we plan something, right? Because that's not being spirit-led. There's a tension there. Jesus was on his way to heal a, friend's, um, a friend, and he stops to heal and have a conversation with a lady who touched his cloak. He was spirit-led, never too busy for anyone. He could stop and have that conversation because the father asked him to. 100% spirit-led, but 100% had a plan and was intentional. You won't accidentally, if you finish today and go, I was weirdly unencouraged but encouraged this morning, and I don't quite know because the sermon was about how messy small tables are. I think I'll just see if, if it happens, it happens. If God wants this to happen, I'll accidentally meet with three people over coffee on Wednesday and we'll know our orders and we'll be there at the exact time. God, I'll leave it with you. It won't accidentally happen. I've never seen a small table accidentally form. I'm so sorry. If it has, that's awesome. You've got to be intentional. You've got to plan to meet. You've got to take something out of your calendar to put that in. I get a text and I'll talk about it in a second. I get a text from Brad Eddie nearly on clockwork every Wednesday night. I'm going for a palmy and a beer. Who's joining me? Fellas, he sends it out to a bunch of guys. It's predictable. It's going to happen. Sometimes it's just me and him. I'm pretty sure once it was just him. Has it been just you just yet? Never been just you. But it's coming. It's predictable. It's planned. It's not, hey, come, the smart casual, time is 6.30, bring this. It's not that planned. It's just predictable. So if there's a time for the guys, some of the guys, young, particularly young dads meeting, to talk about their life, we know Wednesday night, small table time. We get a good palmy and a beer for 15 bucks, I think it is. So there's a little ad for it. Might even be cheaper than that. Thursday night. By Wednesday night, I mean Thursday night. Thank you for that. <laughs> it needs to be predictable, but it's also spirit-led. It's a messy tension of humans growing. In Matthew 16, we see the messiness of this tension. In one chapter, Jesus is talking to Peter and Peter says some words and he says, do you know that statement? That's what I'll build my church upon. In a couple of sentences later, he's with the guys and they're going, who do you reckon is the best one of us? Who's going to get the keys? Who's going to get Jesus' keys after he does whatever he does? Who's going to be highest in his kingdom? And he says this, to Peter again, get behind me, Satan. How's that? This group has enough trust that you can say, mate, you're on fire this morning. What you're doing in your life, I just want to encourage that. What you're doing with your marriage, if that's you, what you're doing with your, your, your funds, what you're doing with how you live your life, mate, keep going. But it also has the trust and the intimacy to say, you're acting a bit like the devil this morning or in that action. Cool your jets. Let's pray. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's okay, it's, but it's safety. You would, if you go up to someone in church, we'd have to have a chat to you. If you went up and said, I just randomly just want to tell you to get behind me, Satan, you'd probably end up in my office. I don't want to sound like the principal, but you'd probably end up in my office having a chat of why you called a random Satan. But in, in, in the safety of a small table, this is the tension I'm asking this church to invite to. Lastly, Steve, this sounds interesting, you may be thinking, but I don't know where to start. Here's a couple of questions. 
here's what we're going to do. Where are we going to start? I've got clipboards. Doesn't get much more sign-up-y than that. And you're going to give me your name if you're interested. You're going to tick a box saying I'm interested in starting to be in a small table. And you're going to tick if you want to facilitate it or want to be trained to help run it. That's where we're going to start. And I'm going to ask, the, put, the thing I'm going to put on you is to pray about this. Pray about how transformative this could be to our community. We'll do some training. We'll continue to talk about this. This is just the beginning of something very exciting for this church. Steve, this is me pretending to know all the questions, but here's a couple. Steve, can I suggest people that I want to meet with? Are you going to put me with some randoms that I don't know? Of course you can. If you already meet with people, why would we, why would we mess with that? If you know people, come and talk to me. If you've got a group, come and talk to me. Amen. Thank you for one less group I'll have to organise. Just tell me who your leader is. That's fine. Steve, I hope you don't separate ages and stages and get us all into different bubbles. It's a bit bubbly and ages and stages have different time frames and different time ways to meet. But no, I'd love mixed. Absolutely. Have a chat to a new person this morning and say, hey, if I put your name next to mine, would you consider being in a small table with me? Uh, we won't try to do that. It might do a little bit of that, but no, let's, let's get out our side of our comfort zone and ask some new people, some people from different areas of life into our small table. Steve, I'm committed to KYB or the prayer meeting after church or another small group. Fantastic. That's it, fantastic. Um, maybe you could, if you're in KYB, you could have two or three people that you meet afterwards with. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel here. That KYB is a small table. I just want to encourage it. The prayer group after, the regular ones, that's a small table. Let's enhance that. Maybe you want to meet with a few people after that for lunch and go a bit deeper. These things can complement each other. Here's one. Steve, I have a young family. This sounds like more things to commit to. It's hard. I even got a couple of years in that, so I know I hit a nerve with that question. If you have a young family, you just found your first small table. Your small table happens weeknights around the family table. You are discipling your kids and you're engaging in challenge and invitation, intentional and spirit-led with them. That's huge. That's your priority. So maybe it just looks like not doing a weekly thing and finding some other way you can meet with some other dads monthly and encourage each other in your faith. And for mums, the same. Doesn't have to be weekly, weekly, weekly. You've got, you've got a small table and they're hectic and they're asking really serious questions and they're messy. Aria, the questions he asks about God and stuff after church is full on, five years old. I need to just be there to disciple her, first and foremost. But secondly, find some encouragement with another group of guys or girls. Talk about life. Talk about how busy it is. Lastly, 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 let me give you an example of how this is going to work for me in the hope that it, you might be able to relate. Here's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to have a few because I'm employed by the church to equip the saints. Brett Eddy, as I mentioned, meets Thursday nights. I'll have a chat to him about how we can make sure that it's got God's truth in it, but acknowledging that sometimes there's non-church people that go to it. So how do we do that? I'm not going to open the Bible and say Bible study starts now because that won't bring 
relate to them, but surely there's a way we can share a bit of a thought or naturally and organically share what God is doing. So we're just going to have a chat about that. That's a small table. That's what it looks like for me. Maz and me are considering doing something that Wayne and Anne do every Wednesday night. Anne and Wayne do it with the surf club people. We would love to do it here where we might do it fortnightly where we open up our house for spaghetti and anyone wants to come and we'll open the Bible and, and, and do a bit of a Bible study and a bit of pray together. Um, and then we'll, we'll pick people on Sunday and encourage them to come and then it's kind of an open door type of thing. We'll talk about our week and talk about God. Uh, we'll make it predictable, so it might be once a month or once a fortnight, but we'll know when it happens and we'll be inviting and intentional. And God's word will be the truth of that and we'll share our week together. I have a group of men that I just stopped meeting with because we had Alpha. We'd meet at McDonald's Treetops. I want to kick that off again at some ungodly hour. I think it's 5am or something. That's um, no, not that early. But it's before work. And there's stuff that comes out about work and ambition and hard decisions and we pray for each other. Men from this church, it's been phenomenal. I want to kick that back out. And then one of my most important tables besides the family is the board. The board will know that I start most meetings now asking them what is God saying to them and what are they doing about it. And so we spend 20 minutes, half an hour, talking about what God's doing in our life, sharing our life. We're not just there for business or to make the church run. We're there because that's the, I guess the highest small table of the church. If we can't do that together, then how can we ask others? Church, I know it's a bit of a different sermon today. I know it's a bit different. Very practical. Next week, I'm going to ask the band up actually. As to what next week, we have Josh talking about going. We're calling International Bring a Grom or Grandkid Day. Because it's school holidays, so you've got to bring a surfer that you know, or you've got to bring your grandkids, because Josh, I've already heard a little bit of his sermon. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's all around the gospel. It's going to be a great presentation for someone that doesn't know Jesus. So get excited for that. As I ask the band to come up, let me pray. I believe that although messy, that if this church committed to growing together around small tables, it's going to be incredibly powerful. We'll look back at today and say this is the moment the church decided to take things deeper. Deeper. Lives changed. Not just waiting around for heaven. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your scripture. Thank you that you did things to show us the way to do things, the way to grow, the way to do life, Lord. Dealing with people is scary and messy and really hard and can be really hurtful and really time-consuming. Father, we see you do that anyway. We see lives changed through your ministry. We know that when we meet together and invite and challenge each other and make a commitment to that, we know the things that happen. We've all experienced mentors and people in our life. Father, stir within us this morning. Let us be encouraged by a very practical thing, a very practical practice that we want to start here at Burley Heads Church of Christ. Father, give us the reminder this week to pray about people. Pray for the right people, the right time, the right group, the right place to gather. And Father, stir within us to sign up this morning 
to start this journey as a church, as a family, as a body of Christ in growing deeper with smaller people and then coming together on Sundays to celebrate everything you're doing. Thank you so much for stirring amongst us this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.